eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast with Mr. Triple Double, Connor Morissette. That's right. Count the count the consonants, count the doubles in his last name, and Shotgun Sperling. I'm your host, Shotgun Sperling, here inviting you into the second episode of the newest addition to the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. I'm joined by my co-host, as I said, Mr. Triple Double, Connor. After the Crosstown Showdown debacle in the Coliseum Saturday, can we officially label it basketball season at USC now? Yes, we can. And with Thanksgiving coming up this week, happy Thanksgiving, by the way, early Thanksgiving. When the calendar turns and it's Thanksgiving, it's time for basketball season regardless. And I know we would have liked the football team to have performed a little bit better. But once Thanksgiving hits, it's called hoop season, man. Uh, I'm going to have to stop you there, Connor. Not at USC. And Thanksgiving is just the start of the season most of the time. Because one, you're usually playing Notre Dame or UCLA on Thanksgiving weekend. And two, there should then follow a big bowl game, if not a conference championship. So this is a very disappointing season for USC in that regard that Thanksgiving is hitting and no one wants to talk about USC football anymore. Except, okay, I, I got, except I when got they get little, that defensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I got carried away there. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> but I, I will say, just looking at it from a college hoops lens, right now you got the battle for Atlanta starting up Maui. It's time for for college basketball fans to to start having their day a little bit. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, how could I forget Notre Dame when you play them in L.A.? That's always this weekend. So forgive me, new guy. Got a little carried away. Sorry. Hope we didn't lose a listener or two. But it's true. I actually, I think I watch more college basketball on the Thanksgiving weekend than college football for sure. I know there's it's rivalry weekend, and you know, like there's the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving Day. I usually end up watching more hoops, and I don't know if it's just because of my terrible sleep patterns or what, but there's more hoops on uh, for me at the right times. So I, I end up watching a lot and I love the Maui Invitational. I love some of those tournaments where you get to see those early season, like, all right, who's actually going to be good. And then you take away a bunch of, you get a t- bunch of takeaways. And then later in the season, you go that those takeaways weren't true. <laughs> this team has really changed since the beginning of the season. So we'll see, but I got to ask you, Connor. So we didn't bring up Thanksgiving, Thankful for you guys, this entire staff that we have, uh, the incredible staff we have the, uh, at the uscfootball.com. But I got to ask you, what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Uh, that's really the million-dollar question here. Uh, I think stuffing probably. If I oh, my one. gosh. Oh, my. I can't believe I invited you on as a co-host to this podcast. What's wrong with stuffing? Oh, my goodness. Stuffing. I mean, if you mix the turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, and gravy all in one bite, maybe a little cranberry too, that's amazing. And stuffing, <laughs> I think, is probably my favorite because 
I just think it tastes the best. I mean, even by itself, I really like stuffing and you don't get it a lot throughout the year. Of course, it's a Thanksgiving only deal. So I've always liked stuffing and I'm surprised to hear you hate on it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's only at Thanksgiving because it's not very good. Otherwise, well, maybe- you know, hey, mac and cheese is available year round, right? So I would say that, though I though I, I caution to say that because I, I love some sweet potato souffle and that's usually not something you find a ton but also I think it's because not a lot of people are just like, give me as much sugar as possible on top of my vegetables. That's usually not the case when people are eating vegetables. They're like, if I'm going to eat this much sugar, I'm not going to eat vegetables with it. But I love me some good sweet potato souffle. It sounds to me like you just made an argument against yourself. I don't know. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, but it, it's <laughs> this is my favorite holiday for food. And I mean, I said stuffing is my favorite side. Like, I, I just love Thanksgiving. So I'm really excited for Thursday. Okay. Chance for redemption real quick. Now we're going to get into the podcast soon, guys. But chance for redemption here for Connor. Dessert of choice. Oh, dessert of choice. Probably just the classic apple pie, vanilla ice cream. Okay. If, as long as you didn't go pumpkin pie, I was with you. I'm not a pumpkin pie fan. I might have to make some chocolate bourbon pecan pie just because Ooh. I heard that all that's going to be at the Thanksgiving I'm going to is like an apple crisp and pumpkin pie. And I said that, that this is one of my cheat days for no sugar this year. So I'm, I got to go all out on it. So anyways, this is episode number two get into the podcast now in case you missed our debut show last week the usc triple double podcast is the first regular hoops focused show on the peristyle podcast network we'll be breaking down the men and the women throughout the season as they hope to each make a march madness run with the nation's number one recruit leading each team last week we had women of troy head coach Lindsay gottlieb on to talk about her team's hot start the dynamic juju Watkins and the trojans elite recruiting class which espnw has ranked the top class in the nation right now. Shotgun coach Gottlieb's team, they've shown they're one of the premier squads in the country, and it was awesome to hear her talk about how she's built the program up. Yeah, definitely. Our interview with Lindsay was fantastic. I thought she provided a lot of insight into this year's team. And then we were able to break down the men's and women's, you know, starts the season. So if you missed last week's episode, you're definitely missing out. You're going to go check that one out after you listen to this one. So make sure you just go ahead and while you're listening to this one, just go ahead, cue it up. Just make sure it's going to be playing next. Uh, then you can kind of backtrack a little bit and see if we were right you know, about what has happened the last week. We hope that this podcast, we're going to be able to bring on guests each week and, and be able to provide some insights. And we got another, another great guest uh, this week as well. We're excited to welcome in this week's guest, USC Men's Basketball Associate Head Coach Chris Capco. For those of you that don't don't know about Cap, he's been our head coach, Andy Enfield's top assistant and right-hand man for the last three seasons, but this is his 10th season overall with the Trojans. He actually came to Los Angeles on Enfield's original staff as the director of basketball operations, but after the first two year, years, he left to get back on the court coaching, going to Florida International for a year before coming back to USC as an assistant the following year. So Capco's pretty much seen all the ups and downs of the program during Andy Enfield's tenure. He was here when the Trojans had no NBA caliber talent on the roster and has helped turn the Galen Center into a place to see future NBA stars with his recruiting chops, including helping USC land the number one player in the nation last year. Without further ado, we bring in USC Associate Head Coach Chris Capco. Thanks for taking the time to join us, Cap. Appreciate you having me. Well, let's just start with this year's team. You guys are off to a 3-1 and one start. Already gone through some of those ups and downs, like we mentioned, over the full tenure. But how would you assess how the season's gone so far? It's gone okay. Um, you know, I would even push it back into our summer and our fall. I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've dealt with injuries and, um, it was played out in front of everybody, uh, against Irvine where we had Bronny who's been out. And then obviously Kobe and, and Boogie, two very important players on our team who had been out. And so look, that, that stuff happens in coaching. It happens during, throughout the course of seasons. We dealt with it last year. And what you hope you get from it is people who step up, handle new roles in, in a good way and take the opportunity that's presented. Um, you know, I think the the results of that will be seen as you move on throughout your year. So I don't want to say that guys did not step up with the opportunity necessarily against Irvine. We didn't get the result we wanted. But, you know, if this pays dividends for us some point in January with Ozaya playing better and Harry playing better and uh, – um, and things like that, then I think, you know, you could take some stuff away from that. So I would rate the season to this point as okay. Um, it, you know, this week was great because we've gotten to practice as a, a an entire team, our entire unit, uh, with the exception of Bronny. Um, so, you know, this is the most people we've had on the floor for a while. So it felt good to see that 
and, you know, feel a rhythm get back and be able to work on some things. So excited about that and excited about what the rest of the season and particularly this week has in store for us. Coach, it's only been four games so far, but what's been the biggest surprise about the team so far this season? Um, you know, that's a, I don't know if we've necessarily had a surprise. I mean, we thought our backcourt was going to be pretty good. And when we've had them, they've been pretty good. Um, you know, so we're not surprised by that. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Connor, I don't think there's been a surprise. I think the biggest thing is we've just had to stay healthy and we've had our team. I mean, we were preseason ranked for a reason. There's been a lot of expectation with this team for a reason. Um, so we like what we got. We like the guys in the locker room. I think it's just a matter of kind of getting them together and staying healthy and, and getting to practice and building continuity and then seeing where we can get to. And hopefully a few surprises kind of come from that. I think maybe in particular, Harry, I think Harry's been a really good surprise for us. But, you know, I want to tip for that, too, because we had a lot of expectation for Harry. We signed him because we thought he could be a good player. He's been in the program for two years at this point. Um, and he's starting to show some productivity offensively, but he's just a guy who has a grasp for everything. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take away from what he's accomplished either, but it's been great to see him step up and really provide some production this year. And you mentioned it. One of the issues you guys have had is just getting everyone on the practice court at the same time. You've had off season surgeries, the normal bumps, bruises, rolled ankles. You had someone with mono, you know, heart surgery for, for Bronny. You guys have had a little bit of everything as a coaching staff. What do you do to try to play catch up? When you've had so many guys in and out of the lineup at practice, you know, can you do more stuff off court to try to build some chemistry or how do you kind of go about it when you're just not able to get all your guys out there playing side by side to, to build that continuity going into a season? Yeah, I mean, on the floor, the most you can do is just practice with the guys who are there. Right. But so when Vince was coming back, you know, there was a plan in place for, for what that looked like for him. Um he would sit on the sideline and watch and pay attention. And then what he could do and what he was capable of is we would try to go through in a one-on-one setting defensively or two-on-two setting defensively and then five-on-one offense and let him get a feel for the plays and, and a rhythm for the plays so that when he steps on the floor in live competition, it's not the first time he did that stuff. Um, we're going through that with Bronny right now. We did that with uh, Kobe and Boogie. Uh, when they were out, just trying to get, you know, if they could stand still and shoot individual stuff and then kind of the mental part, um, you know, for the team. And so you just try to get as much individual time with those guys who are out as possible. Then you hope they're paying attention. And so that when they actually do step in and go live, you know, that at least they have some level of foundation to which they can build on when they're, when they're, you know, things are going full speed. What have been your early impressions of Isaiah Collier, me just watching him, you can see the hype, the talent. He just plays at a different speed than some of the teams or some of his teammates so far right now. What have been your impressions of him and how much better can he get? I mean, he looks so good right now. Yeah, offensively, Isaiah's been great. I mean, there's a lot of uh, expectation that came with him and accolades that came with him. And I think everyone can see why um, physically, probably the most physically ready freshman we've ever had. Um you know, 210 pounds, throws his shoulder into defenders. They bounce off him, absorbs contact. Um, he shot the ball well today. He shot it well from the free throw line. He needs to continue to do that. Um, so all in all, been very happy with him. You know, I would tell him this if he was sitting right next to me, and I guarantee he would start smiling, look at me, and know what, what I was going to say. He's got to get better defensively. Um, he knows that. You know, it's it's a big jump for young guys. And then the same thing when they go to the NBA in terms of the focus, the level of detail that's being thrown at you, the intensity you got to maintain. Um, you know, probably for a lot of young guys, they come in, they see Irvine and Brown and don't think much of them, but they're good players. And maintaining that focus that when you do get up or you are in the midst of the game that, hey, these guys are good and maintain your level of focus and detail at a high level for a duration of time, I think is what he's learning. Uh, but he's he's coachable. He's a great kid. The messaging around him is really good. And you've seen improvement with him to date. We just got to continue to get him better um, in that regard. I think the other thing, and again, he would be honest with you about his decision making right now, um, as we're recording this, he has a negative assist to turnover ratio. I can say for a fact he's better than that. Um, but now it's just keeping the focus and um, being able to handle playing 35 minutes while making great decisions throughout the course of a game when you do mess up being able to kind of catch yourself in the moment slow yourself down um, and just getting back to the basics so 
Um, I say all that. He's been great. He knows where he needs to get better at. We know that. We're trying to help him through that. We have all the confidence that he will get better at that, and we expect him to have a great year. How have you seen the players around him adapt to him? Because while he does have a negative assist-to-turnover ratio, one in that Irvine game, if people would have knocked down shots, he'd be higher. And then also, right. if if some guys could catch some passes from him that look like they're pretty good passes, uh, you know, that, that go as turnovers to him, maybe the assist-to-turnover ratio is a little bit different as well. How was that adjustment period of – you know, when you play with an elite player, there's always a little bit of an adjustment period because they're doing things that other players don't do. And I think it's even more so when it comes from a point guard because they're the one facilitating everything. They're getting the ball to you. How are you seeing guys adjusting and adapting to playing with him? I think he naturally picks up the speed of our offense, right? I mean, he's so fast with the ball. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone in person that fast. Um, and so he forces you to run a little more. I think that's one way we've adapted. I think the bigs have realized, man, I got to be ready for the ball at all times because <laughs> he will whip a pass. But to his, you know, to to his learning curve, that's also where he's got to get better too. And at this point, he's got to sense what guys' strengths and weaknesses are, and um, you know how he can better help everyone. You're right; he should have more assists if guys knock down shots or finish off passes. His his assists would be there, and his turnovers would probably be a little bit down. But that's part of growing up, too, is getting a feel for your teammates, a feel for the game, um, you know, being able to, to understand the flow of the game and the speed of the game and what you need to do at certain moments, time and score. And I do think he's gotten better at that. I think against Brown, he had three assists, four turnovers, two of them were offensive fouls that I thought were kind of questionable. He put his shoulder into a guy. But I thought for the most part, the passes, he was pretty – um, on top of that. So I think you saw him taking that from one game to the next, and he, he will get better at that. I have no doubt. Uh, as a staff, we have no doubt in that. Um, you know, so – and we need his aggressiveness offensively. So there's a balance for him, you know what I mean? And so we need him to do a lot of the stuff he's doing. But um, he's capable of being a much better decision maker, and he will be, and we all have all the confidence in the world that he will be. You brought up some of the bigs there and catching passes from Isaiah. Chris, I'm curious. It seems like to me, of course, health is the most important thing right now with the team. But for USC to really hit its maximum ceiling, I think the backup bigs and just the bigs in general are really going to have to take a step up this season. What have you seen from them? And how can you get guys like Vince Kajani and Arrington to improve the most here as the season goes on? Yeah, I mean, those are the three names because they're younger, right? I mean, Kajani's a sophomore and gave us really good minutes for the end of last year. AP's a freshman and Vince is, for all intents and purposes, I would say, you know, he's got a sophomore by his name, but I think we've had him for 18 months. And he's been able to practice and or play games for about three of those months. So in terms of real experience, you know, he's, he's like a freshman. And so, and then, you know, he has back surgery in the summer. He's coming back from that. He missed a lot of time. And so he's had a lot of moments where he just wasn't playing basketball. AP, same thing. He gets uh, kind of tweaks something in Europe, comes back, doesn't practice. Right as he's about to take the floor and practice, he catches mono. So those two in particular just need practice. And a lot of young people are in that boat, so that's not a knock on them. They just need practice. Um, and I think both of them are capable of helping us score. I think both of them are capable of uh, taking us to another level defensively. And I think more importantly, both of them can help us with rebounding because that's the thing as a team we got to get better at. You know, we're trying to address it. We're trying to emphasize it in practice. And it starts with your big men. Um, your big men got to rebound for you to be a good rebounding team. And ultimately, being a good rebounding team allows you to be the best defensive team you can be because you're limiting shots. You're limiting teams to one shot. Um, and I think those two in particular can come in. They've both got great size, great athleticism, great length, rebound the ball above the rim, and hopefully help us in that area. That will take some of the pressure off of Josh and hopefully make us the best team that we can. And to your guys' point, raise the ceiling of our team. Yeah, you talk about the rebounding. Obviously, that's been kind of the biggest issue so far, especially in that the first half of the Kansas State game. And uh, sub subsequently, when you guys play some of those Power 5 teams, you're going to see that a little bit more. How do you address that? You say you guys have been attacking that in practice. What's the what do you guys try to do to to really get the guys? Because it feels like rebounding is one of those things that's it's half mentality. You know, it's I'm going to go. You know, I'm the junkyard dog. I'm going to go get it. Doesn't matter. Um, how do you build that into players at the same time of doing you know the fundamentals and working on different things in practice to to help them succeed? Yeah, shotgun. I mean, there is a there is an aspect of having a nose for the ball that goes into rebounding. There's anticipation, there's timing, 
Um, you know, some guys like Chavez Goodwin was relentless, man. He would get mm-hmm. off your body. He would just keep coming. Onyeka was um, the same way, played with a motor, but explosive. He would just go above the rim and grab it. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit, I think from the defensive rebounding standpoint, a lot of it is, you know, just being conscious to find your man, hit, keep him from going to the glass and then being the first to it. You know, you ask how we go about it. I think a lot of times in coaching, it's not necessarily what you teach, it's what you emphasize. I think what we've been trying to do is just emphasize it every day, whether it's through drills, through um, uh, film study, through um, statistics. And we've just been trying to address it every single day with our team. And um, today, you know, for being honest, it hasn't shown, but we're going to continue to emphasize it and try to get the best and, and maximize our defensive rebounding as much as we can. I think the only way you can do it is emphasize it every day, drill it every day, talk about it every day, um, and ultimately play the guys who are doing that, who who's showing the most production in terms of doing that, and then those are going to be the guys who have to play. Chris, in a best-case scenario, how good can this year's team be? I'm not. Shotgun will tell you this. I'm not putting – Connie, you're not going to trick me with that one. Um <laughs> Yeah, listen, we can be good. I know that, and I feel very confident in that. Um, But there's a lot that goes into being good, and there's a lot that goes into winning championships. And do I think we can compete for championships? Yes, absolutely. But I'm not going to put a label on this team. I just think we can be really good, and we're going to continue to see how we develop, how we progress. Um, You have to stay – you know, one of the reasons I'm hesitant to do that, we've been banged up. You have to stay healthy. And um, so – I don't want to put pressure on this team. I know that's what comes with the job, but I just, I know we got a good team. I like our group. I like our kids. They're coachable. They're really good people. And I do think we can be really good, Connor. And I think as we see throughout the year, we'll get a better feel in February and March. We'll get a really good sense of where we can be and how we compete with some of the better teams. Uh, But all I'm going to tell you is we can be good and we're going to be good and we're going to get better. And ultimately you want to play your best basketball in March. This team will be playing their best basketball in March and that's going to give us a shot. That's coach talk, Connor. I know that's coach talk, but <laughs> hey, I'm going to reserve judgment till March too. I like to be a production bay. I don't want to just sit out there and blurt things out. I want to see how this team progresses and because um, I don't think it's fair to the kids either. Smart man. I, I totally get it. Well, the USC, I mean, this is the perfect year for USC to win a Pac-12 title because it's the last time they'll have a chance to win a Pac-12 title. It hasn't won a Pac-12 crown, at least a share of the crown, and I think it's 38, 39 seasons now. Haven't won an outright title since 1960, 61. So what better way to go out of the conference than to, to go ahead and take one? Uh, but let's look at the future as well. Tell us a little bit about this three-man recruiting class you guys have signed. What stands out about each of the signees? You got Trent Perry coming from Harvard-Westlake, Liam Campbell from Harvard-Westlake by way of Idaho, uh, and then and then Brody Kozlowski coming from Utah. Uh, what, what did you like about these guys that you signed? And, you know, this is the fourth in the last six years. This is the fourth class inside of a top 20 ranking, at least so far. They're currently ranked uh, 12th uh, overall class. And you guys have basically been top 40 every every season since Jordan McLaughlin signed. So what's been kind of the 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 ability to have success on the recruiting trail for you guys? You know, it starts with guys like Jordan McLaughlin and Elijah Stewart and Chemezi and Benny. And then when you win with those guys, it makes your program more attractive. And then as guys make the NBA, you become even more attractive. Um, winning helps with all that. I think also we go out and build genuine relationships and the people nationally and locally like us. And so that's hel- that helps. I think they feel comfortable um, sending their children here and their kids here. And there's proof of concept. We've done it with bigs, guards. Um, forwards, whatever it may be, and so they can all see it. I also think we're honest through this process, knowing that these kids, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be adversity. We tell them that, um, but we are going to help you through that. And, um, you know, we're not going to get disrespectful. We're not going to cross the line, but we're going to coach you. We're going to be demanding without being demeaning. And I think kids recognize that, you know, in terms of this group, I think we have a winning group. I think, um, you know, Troy Perry or Trent Perry, sorry, Troy's dad, um, Trent Perry, um, won a CIF championship last year. His AAU team made it to the P Sham finals. He embodies winning, um, goes to a really good school. I think he's just a winner of a kid, um, and a winner of a basketball player. I don't, again, not want to put projections on people. I don't know if he's going to be a one year, two year, three year, four year kid, 
but I think he's going to be a kid who stays in our program, gets better, and really impacts winning. The same thing with Liam and Brody, tough kids, competitive kids, and this goes for Trent too, high feel, high IQ, all can make a shot, all have won, come from winning programs, they've all been coached, and they will find ways to impact winning and impact our program, and I think that was the biggest thing. High character, high students, high character from their families, and all the intangibles that you look for in student athletes, they all possess, and I think in a lot of ways that impacts winning. And uh, we feel really good about the group that we have and the impact that they will make and the type of student athletes that they will be within our program. Last question for me, Chris, you were linked to a few schools to be a head coach in the off season. If you could be a head coach anywhere, where would you choose and why? Um, my dream job was my alma mater, South Florida this past year. Um, and uh, I didn't get it. And uh, obviously I'm here, but, you know, it was local to me. I went to school there. I take a lot of pride in there. I felt like it was a good fit. Um, you know, my next dream job is when Andy's done here 20 years and we've hung up some banners and um, and won some championships in the Big Ten, take over after him at some point. I've had a, you know, Shotgun said it before, I've, I've been here 10 years. I've had an incredible 10 years. Uh, we've been so proud of what we've accomplished. I've made so many relationships here. My family loves living in Los Angeles. So that would be the second one. I know that's probably, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what the term is, but it's just a, it's a longer shot than most. And Andy's a young guy and stuff like that. But I've just had an incredible opportunity here um, that I've just enjoyed being here and really love USC and take a lot of pride in everything that we've done here and just have him just been proud of USC and our program and where it's at and things like that. Um you know, other than that, I just want a place that's a good fit for my family and I and, and somewhere where I can get opportunity more than anything. And um, I did have opportunity. I chose to come back. I felt really good about our group. To your question earlier, I felt like we could be special and really accomplish some some special things. Um, you know, and wherever my next opportunity comes, um, I'll be ready. I think I'm ready now. And um, I'm excited for that opportunity. So I, I think I gave you two answers. I kind of got off base, but, you know, I just I want to go somewhere where, uh, uh, you know, there's an opportunity. Someone just believes in me. I think that's the biggest thing. Someone who trusts mm -hmm. me believes in me with their program. Um, and that fits a lot of places. You know, I know as, as an assistant coach, I probably can't be too picky either. And so I may have to take a job that comes that has um, some weaknesses or deficiencies, so to speak, within a, an athletic department. But you know what? It's going to be my job and I'm going to make the most of it. Well, if you're going to take over at USC, you're obviously going to in 20 years. Then you know you're going to have to be coming from another school because we assume you're going to be head coaching somewhere before then. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for for jumping on to join us. The the first uh, men's basketball uh, interview that we've had at, after last week having Lindsey Gottlieb on. So thanks for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast. With that, we'll jump into our break, and then Connor and I will return, take a little bit deeper look at the last week of action for the USC men and women, and then we'll take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for this week as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back from the break. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself. Enjoyed the interview we had with Chris Capco. Make sure you check out our sponsors and also please like, subscribe, review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. I know we got a lot of reviews on the Peristyle podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, but we need one for the USC Triple Double. We don't have one yet. Let's make it happen. You guys out there, get your review in. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, inquiries, however you want to say a question, you can send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put Triple Double or the basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to us. And we'll later in, in the season, we'll have some Q&As as well. We'll be asking for your guys' questions as we get a little more in-depth into the season. Before we jump into our normal segments, recapping last week, looking forward, Connor, what stood out to you about our from our interview with Coach Capco? Uh, well, Andy Enfield talks about it 
a lot shotgun, but it's always just awesome to hear those guys reflect on what USC was like when they got there. And now what it's like getting top recruits and being a ranked program. Those guys have worked really hard to get the program to where it is. And just to hear Capco talk about that, I thought that was really cool. And his impressions of Isaiah Collier was awesome and where he needs to get better. So I thought a really, really good interview. I mean, we did it. So uh, why would I feel any other way? And then (laughs) just the last thing, the coach speak with the expectations. Don't blame him at all for that. I mean, if I was a coach, I wouldn't tell two reporters uh, my real expectations for for what I thought was going to happen with my team. So I think he laid it out all uh, truthfully and realistically they have a chance to compete for championships and that makes a lot of sense to me and we'll see how they do now uh, capco is is pretty notoriously my time have you know haven't covered the team for years i've gotten to know him a little bit he's never one to to put it out there that he thinks that they will anything he's very cautious with uh what he believes the team can do or if they're getting a recruit or if someone's gonna you know, he's always pretty cautious on uh where he stands on those type things he's never one to jump uh, both feet in in that regard but that tells you what the potential of this team is now can they live up to the potential that's going to be the big question we'll be examining that throughout the season but it is there the coaching staff knows it's there the players know it's there and hopefully the fans that are coming to the galen center know it's there um so before we get into our full recap i gotta ask you you know, you've got a chance to get out to a couple games how has the atmosphere been so far this season for the couple games you've been out to the first game was crazy and it was against cal state bakersfield which is probably the worst team out of the home game so far. So that was a little bit of a surprise, but yeah, there were, it probably had to do, I forget what night of the week it was, but I I just think the timing was perfect. And the students really came out all games so far have been more uh, attended than they were in the past, as far as non-conference games go. So that's been great. But the Cal state Bakersfield one really stood out to me. Student section was packed. There were like 30 people waiting outside where we exit the Galen center to try to get Bronny James's autograph. So even though Bronny James isn't <laughs> playing right now, he's still a, a massive draw. And I anticipate once Thanksgiving is over and people resume their normal life a little bit more before uh, the holidays at the end of the year, I, I do think these games, the few that USC has are going to be really well attended. And then going into the PAC 12, of, of course, those games will, will be really well attended too, if Bronny is playing, especially. So the atmosphere is a lot better than it was a year ago for me, for sure. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Hopefully fans come out and pack the Galen Center. Obviously, there's a ton of talent on the court to be able to, and a ton of talent on the bench. There's been a ton of talent on the bench in a couple of games, unfortunately for USC. But uh, this past week, they played Brown on Sunday. They beat Brown 81-70. to Probably not as big of a margin of victory as it could have been, but we're able to get the win there. They weren't really tested late. They pulled away in, in that game you know, with a strong uh, a run rather than being the other way, which has been the case in a couple of games. So I think that was a, a positive there. We'll talk about our positives and negatives for each. The women's basketball throws where we'll start. They are in the Bahamas right now. On Monday, they played Seton Hall. They won 64 to 54 in that one. They were up by 20 and went into the fourth quarter, let Seton Hall a little bit back into it, but never really threatened there at the end. So they were able to pick up a win. Now we got a, a kind of a condensed because we were late last week, late in the week last week, and you know, going a little bit earlier this. This week because of the holiday we're still trying to find the exact date we're going to have this each week to to be able to get it and the, the non-conference makes it a little bit difficult because there's games all over the place once we get to pack 12 play we know it's wednesday through sunday at max so we'll try to have something before the teams are playing each week so we can recap and then still look forward but a little bit of a bouncing around the women will play uh at uh, they will play penn state in the bahamas um, later today for those of you listening to this on Wednesday. So we'll look at that in a little bit. But first, let's look at our triple-double. This is called the Triple-Double Podcast. So we look at the we recap and look at the positives and negatives in a triple-double way. So give me your three positives from the women's basketball from their, their, their one game that we've been able to see this week. Sure. So first, Shotgun, last week we talked about USC should beat these two teams in the Bahamas, Seton Hall and Penn State. They're one of one so far. They got another opportunity to get a win later in the week. And we just talked about look like a top 10 team. You proved it against Ohio state, but you got to continue to prove it against some of these weaker opponents in the non-conference slate and to be up 23 to seven in the first quarter at the end of the first quarter against Seton hall, that's playing like a top 10 team. So that was my first positive, the hot start, even though USC let Seton hall back into that game a little bit, like you said, that game was done. And USC looked like a top 10 team in that one. So that's always encouraging, even though they didn't get 
some of the, the scoring numbers that we're used to more on that in a little bit. The second positive for me, you tweeted about it. Raya Marshall, she just looks more advanced right now. I mean, that drop step move that she had, that was an awesome play. 15 rebounds for her. I know that's another day at the office for her, but she just continues to really impress me. And I think stylistically, she came in kind of raw and she's just getting better and better. And I think that's really encouraging. My last positive, four starters and doubled figures, Caitlin Davis, Mackenzie Forbes, Juju Watkins, and then Raya Marshall, of course. And, and USC was able to overcome a slowish night from, from Juju Watkins, who led the team with 15 points, but with six of 17 shooting. So I guess that could kind of be a negative, but I'm looking at it in a positive way. It wasn't the Juju show in that game and USC still won easily. Yeah, I think, you know, she scored 15. I think that was her, you know, season low. Um, but now she's got 100 points in four games. Averaging 25 points a game in her first four games in college. She's still pretty good. And that was my my first positive takeaway. She's so smooth. Smooth Jew is what I put it. Um, you know, the, the behind the back, they then go around a defender, drive baseline, and then use the Euro step to step through, put it off the glass. I mean, that move was spectacular. And she just does something like that every game. Um, you know, she had a great feed to Rhea Marshall on the fast break where she comes to a jump stop, triple team, basically. Someone's trying to take a charge. She doesn't run them over. So she's got the great feel. And when things aren't going 100%, she didn't shoot well from outside. That's the first time that hasn't that hasn't happened for her this season. And still, she became a facilitator, was able to create a little bit more. And teams are going to play her different. It's going to be interesting to see how she adjusts. And that's the thing about her is you can take away one thing, and she's got something else. You take away the second thing. She's got a, she's got another move off of that. So she's got the answers to all the the questions. It feels like when it comes to you know the tests that the defenses are going to throw them out. So she's going to be slowed down a little bit at times, but she's going to be able to continue to find ways to make winning plays. And that's what she did in this game. The you know little bit we saw of it because you know we saw a lot of clips rather than the full game since it's on Flow TV. But uh, took control early, as you mentioned. You know that was really important, when, especially when you go and you're playing so far away from home, in a strange environment. You know, there's barely any fans there when you go and play in a place like the Bahamas. If you can take control early, it just you know it, it changes the entire dynamic of uh, the rest of it. And you see a lot of blowouts in these games. I remember USC got blown out by basket men's got blown out by like 45 in a game a few years back. And it's just like once someone starts hitting some shots. You know, when there's no crowd, it's just kind of weird exhibition kind of style. Things can, you know, snowball on you quickly. To take control easy early was really important for him. And I had, you know, similar to what you had with the four, um, the four starters and double figures, Caitlin Davis being nearly perfect. You know, her uh, season high 13 points, I believe it was her first uh, double figures game. She added five rebounds, four for five from the field, five for six from free throw. So getting another one, McKenzie Forbes had already had uh, a double figure game. That was her second one on Monday. So, Getting those grad transfers seems like they're starting to flow a little bit more to add to Raya Marshall and Juju Watkins. I love it. Switching to negatives now for me, one bench bucket for USC in this game, just one field goal. That needs to be addressed, I think. It can't be the Juju and Raya show every night, and it wasn't against Seton Hall. We mentioned the other players who did well, but I think going forward against better teams, you're just going to need a little bit more from the bench. And then I want to see Caleb Padilla get going a little bit more. She's in a different role now, of course, no longer in the Ivy League being on USC. And I know assists aren't her big thing, but when you have Juju Marshall or Juju Marshall, Juju Watkins and Rhea Marshall on, on your team, it should be a little easier to get some assists. I, I'd like to see her raise uh, her game in that regard a little bit. And then the shooting, I expect it to bounce back. It just hasn't been there so far this year. She was two of seven from three against Seton Hall. I do anticipate her because she's so experienced, such a smart player bouncing back uh, just four games in. It's been a little slow and that's my other negative. Yeah, in my double, I had Caleb Padilla still hasn't hit her stride as well. Um, you know, led the Ivy League in scoring last year and has yet to hit double figures this year. So I think she averaged, I think it was 17.8 last season. So I, I think it's still going to come. And part of it is finding, all right, this isn't, I'm not the person, the volume shooter anymore. Uh, you know, I got to be a facilitator a little bit more. I got to be a creator. I got to do some different things. Uh, and then my second double was games are on Flow TV. You know, I have this issue with baseball sometimes. I'm like, oh, a certain tournament, and they're on Flow TV. I'm like, I'm not paying $30 for two games. I understand some other people would. And, you know, if I can get Ryan to reimburse me every time, then I might do that. But, uh, you know, I'm not doing it. 
Um, and luckily, you know, there was, uh, there was, you know, good clips being sent out and maybe been on live stream. I, I thought I saw someone say that USC may be in live streaming it afterwards, but I don't think that would have been true if it was on flow TV. It wouldn't make sense for that, but those are my two, uh, doubles there. But I got a question for you, Connor, that came up. Who's better? Would it, were Rhea Watkins or Juju Marshall be better? I don't, which one? <laughs> uh, I kind of like Rhea Watkins. I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll take another. Is that, that means Juju's got a sister or something? I'm taking it. Um, but what about on the men's side? You know, their game against Brown. You were in attendance. What were the three positives for you? What did you have in your triple? My first triple: Boogie Ellis, 28 points, six of 11 from downtown. Just an awesome offensive game from him, and a night where, or on a night where USC really needed it. He had been banged up, missed the previous game against UC Irvine. So the fact that he was able to come back and Andy Enfield said afterwards, he wasn't hundred percent healthy scoring 28 points when you're not hundred percent healthy. That's really, really good. Of course. And he just looked again, like you, you want your best player to look against Brown. The rest of the team maybe didn't play as well as they should have, but Boogie Ellis really did. My second triple, the team's getting healthier. DJ Rodman was out. Bronny James is out, but everyone else was back and, that was really encouraging. Kobe Johnson had missed a couple of games. Boogie missed the game before. Vinci Wachuku came back the previous game, but of course he's battled so much. So just the fact that more players are available and Indian Field said afterwards they anticipate DJ Rodman being back Thursday. And if he's not back Thursday, he'll probably be, probably be back Friday. So then you're back to how it was before the season started with just Bronny being out. And I guess Vince wasn't there either, but you know what I mean? They're, they're getting healthier. That's the, the biggest thing. And then my last Triple the three-pointers. It wasn't just Boogie. Kobe Johnson hit two. Isaiah Collier was three for five. Oziah hit his one, which after a disappointing offensive output for him against UC Irvine, even though it was just one shot, I'm sure it was really reassuring for him to see that one shot go down. I do think in that Brown game, USC relied a little bit too much on the three-point shot, but when you shoot 50% and they're going down, I, I don't blame them. I'd like to see him be more balanced in the future. But hey, when the threes are falling, they're falling, and that was my uh, final triple there. Yeah, that's a. I had from distance on mine, the three point percentage, you know, 12 of 24. When you hit 50% when you're shooting, you know, 24 attempts, you're going to do really good things, especially after what was it, four of 19, I think it was against UC Irvine. And a big part of that was they didn't have Boogie Ellis, they didn't have Kobe Johnson. Those guys combined for, I think, eight or nine in that game. So the back together backcourt as Boogie and Kobe return was one of my other ones. And then Vince Iwachukwu getting a little bit stronger, seven points, seven rebounds. You know, there's still the times when the ball, like he has the ball in his hands, it just pops out and the other team gets a free dunk. Like that stuff, you're like, oh, how is this happening? But it's because he's barely played in, you know, two and a half years. So, um, you know, he had that in 20 minutes. He even started the second half for USC with Joshua Morgan in some foul trouble. So, you know, to see him slowly take take a step. He took a step on that. Now, can he keep from regressing? It was just a baby step, but that's what you need to see from him because he could be the difference maker for this team. Because whether it's coming off the bench or you know if they go to a, a bigger lineup with him and Joshua Morgan side by side, I mean he could be a difference maker though because of all the potential that he has and the fact that he can get his in the post when he's going when he's healthy and back in the flow. They can throw the ball into him and have that balance just like you're talking about because they tried to throw the ball into various people in this game and it just it didn't look very good. And even when they threw it into Vince, it didn't necessarily look good. But we've seen it in the past when you know his ability to catch the ball back to the basket, you know, make a move, go to work, that type of thing. He's he's definitely rusty. There's been a couple of times where he's been called for walks. There's been a couple of times where he should have been probably called for walks. Like, you know, he's just he doesn't have that flow yet, you can tell. But like I said, baby step, a baby step. And hey, you got to take those baby steps against teams like Brown. You got to take advantage of them. And then when you play the bigger teams, you see where you're at. That's when you are kind of the, you know, the reality check, but also, all right, this is kind of a, you know, assessment test of, all right, where exactly are you at? Do, what do we need to work on more of the same thing? Um, you know, whatever you focus on is usually what you're going to be good at. You know, that's the thing we've heard a lot about with USC's football team. It's like, how much do they really focus on tackling if they're this bad at tackling? It's a great question. We don't know because we don't get to watch practice. But, you know, when you, when you listen to Chris Capco talk about how they're emphasizing rebound, we'll see if that is something that continues to get better. So I'm going to jump into my negatives. On the double side of my triple-double, I got rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. Now, they won the the, the rebounding end-of-game margin against Brown. They were losing it in the first half, though. This is a team that has to attack the boards 
harder, harder. You got to block out. You know, you got to be able to lock on to your man. There's times when I think Johnny Wright had a guy kind of slip around him. Like you got you, you got to get those elbows, sharp elbows. You know, you got to you got to pretend like you're in a club and you got a drink in each hand and someone comes up. You got sharp elbows. Those elbows are not moving. I'm not I'm not spilling this $15 drink that I just got in Vegas or $25 drink. I think it's what Vegas prices are now. You know, sharp elbows in the club. No one's getting by me. No one's getting in my way in my area and I'm making sure no one's spilling my drink. So, we got to see some of that from from the USC men's basketball team when they're rebounding. So, that was one of my negatives. And then my second uh, part of my double was they didn't separate from a not good team. Brown's not very good. They probably will not compete in the Ivy League. I mean, the the two stars are good, um, and they showed out in this game. Uh, you know, Nana and the the kid from outside that went off in the second half. But can that carry them for a season in the Ivy League? I don't think so. I think the other team, you know, the Princetons and the the Harvards are going to be more consistent. So I don't think that Brown's going to be a team that competes in the Ivy League. So that's a team you should be beaten by fifteen minimum, probably twenty, maybe even twenty five. Uh, you know, take a page from the women's team. How much did they beat Lemoyne by? You know, that's what you at least half of that you should be able to beat a team by. I agree. To your point on the rebounding, Nana Awosu Anane, their one big guy who could really do anything for Brown. He had 11 boards and he picked up his fourth foul so early in that second half where he didn't even play for a lot of that second half. I thought he kind of bullied the USC bigs in that game a little bit. And anytime, you know, a guy from Brown is doing that to a, power five program that's in a position like USC that obviously wasn't that encouraging. So he of course took a backseat to Lily, the guy who hit all those threes, but uh, I, I just didn't really love what I saw for, from, from USC's big guys. And uh, that'll transition into my doubles here. If I can pull up the right tab. Uh, there we go. So you mentioned the rebounding just to go on a little bit more about the bigs. Kajani, Vince and Arrington were two of 10 from the field on offense. So you hit on the rebounding. I won't spend too much time there, but uh, just the, the two attend from the field, we consistently see shotgun when those guys are in the game, they get an offensive rebound every now and then, and then they go up like crazy and the, the layup putbacks. Yeah. They're being defended, but a lot of those shots aren't even close. So I, I just want to see some consistent improvement from someone there. It, it That shouldn't be the case where you pull down a board and then I know Vince is so excited because he's back, but sometimes it looks like, you know, you can tell he hasn't really played basketball in a long time. So that, that shouldn't be held against him. But uh, just when they get those offensive rebounds, it is uh, your guess is as good as mine. What the heck's going to happen when they go back up with it. And then the other one, I agree with you, not being able to close up Brown. USC did get a little help from the officials in that one where the, yeah, you're, you're laughing. Brown was called for a foul, could have been a travel, whatever. It's a foul. And then, the player tried to make his case to the official, like, no, Isaiah Collier, I thought he traveled. And then inexplicably, he gets called for a technical foul, which was his fifth. And that's another sharp shooter for Brown. So he's ejected. And then the Boogie Ellis shot with one second left on the shot clock, that crazy rainbow three. The game was probably already over after that. Mm-hmm. But still, that, of course, helped USC separate. So a few things sort of went their way. And if it hadn't have gone their way, I would have been fascinated to have seen what happened because USC did not do a good enough job of separating against a Brown team that they really should have done a better job against. I think anytime you shoot 50% from three, like if you told me before the game, USC is going to be 50% from three, I'd said, OK, they're going to win by 20 or 25, like you said. So the fact that they did that and Brown still hung around, that was certainly a concern. And part of it was they hit their free throws on the stretch and they didn't shoot great for the game, 65%, but I think they made 12 of the last 14 or something like that. So they were able to close things out. So that's a positive actually to see, you know, a game that's not going your way, especially you're coming off a loss to UC Irvine. You don't want that snowball effect to happen. And that can happen, especially when there's a lot of hype around a team. Uh, we could look across the campus and see something like that. Um, but this team will be able to find a way. And that's an important thing, even against bad opponents is to find a way. Uh, now you got to play better, you know, USC football beat Cal. They found a way. But then you got to start playing better, and that never happened. So that's what we want to see. That's going to be a big thing this week. We'll get into the preview in just a minute. But let's start with where they stand. Right now, the women moved up a couple spots. They are number eight in the nation. Just it's crazy to me, you know, having seen this team be in the doldrums for more than a decade, you know, from Mark Track to Michael Cooper to Cynthia Cooper Dyke to Mac DeMarc Track, uh, you know, and now finally 
they got a coach that's come in and has put together a roster with a star player and is playing terrific. They're one of four teams in the in the top ten now. They're so they're not a fourth in the Pac twelve or, or the Pac twelve. Um, still eighth in the in the nation uh, behind Stanford and Colorado and UCLA, who's I think number two over a high. I think this is the highest ranking ever for UCLA. So that matchup should be fascinating as well later in the season. The Colorado one should be. It's going to be some great matchups in the in the Pac twelve. The men slid down to number 23. Um, they, you know, lost six spots, stayed in the top 25. Some people are a little bit surprised, but, you know, maybe your voters actually paid attention enough to realize, hey, Boogie Ellis and Kobe Johnson were out this game. And also some other teams have taken some losses too. So you're still looking at the expectation of where this team can be. So they lose another game this week or something, they'll fall out of the top 25. But, you know, I, I think they get a little bit of benefit of the doubt lose a game to a team that's traditionally been pretty good in the Big West, especially with a couple players out. So that's where they stand as far as the polls, where they stand in right now, what stands out from their rankings so far. Looking at the women, 23rd nationally in field goal percentage, just under 50%. That's always a great sign. The two concerns, shotgun for the women, even though they're so good and having a great season, the statistics bear it out. They're 290th in bench points per game at only 13.8. So they're just not getting a lot from their bench. And then 301st in free throw shooting at 61%. We saw Juju do a great job of knocking down her free throws against Ohio State. After that, though, the team, for whatever reason, they just haven't been hitting them at the same clip. Moving over to the men, turnovers have been a big problem. 236th in the country in assist to turnover ratio and 275th in turnovers per game. Isaiah Collier, I think that's just him getting his feet wet a little bit. And we talked about it with Cap. Some of those turnovers probably should have been assists. I expect that to get turned around here as we get going. Bench points have been a problem for the men too, 284th nationally. But defensively, 48th in field goal percentage defense, which is always encouraging at 37.8%. And then 36th in made free throws per game. USC is doing a great job on the men's side of getting to the line. Yeah, and Isaiah Collier is a huge part of that, and he's been uh, doing a really good job of making his. Let's move over to the preview side. The men's basketball team is heading down to San Diego. They will participate in the two-day uh, Rady Children's Invitational. They'll spend Thanksgiving um, playing against Seton Hall. The women just beat Seton Hall. We'll see if the men can get a similar regard. New Jersey teams, you know, I just send, I'm sending them to your guys' way. That's what it is. Uh, but then they will play either Oklahoma or Iowa on Friday. The timing of that game, they'll play against uh, they'll play against Seton Hall at two thirty on Thanksgiving Day. So get your turkey in early. You know you can watch some football for a little bit and then you know catch some USC hoops. Um, I'm not sure the channel on that one. I'll have to look in a second. But then the, on Friday, Oklahoma is going to play the early game. I believe Chris Kafka was telling us before we started recording because they have a football game. Um, I guess is is it Bedlam? Is this week Bedlam? Uh, Oklahoma. No, that Very was last week. Bedlam. That was, yeah. I don't um, know who they're playing. I can look that up. Um, so Oklahoma has a football game apparently or has a football thing. So they are set into a certain time slot. So it, whoever plays Oklahoma, you know, because it's going to be winners versus winners, losers versus losers. Winner of USC Seton Hall play the winner of Oklahoma, Iowa on Friday. Seton Hall's 4 0 in the season, four wins over mid majors. Uh, point guard Kadari Richmond leads the, the team with averaging 14 points per game. Uh, so we'll see, you know, this is uh, Shaheem Holloway, if I remember this correct, correctly, who led St. Peter's to, you know, their run a couple years ago. Uh, if I'm, again, if I remember, there's, there's been so many runs from New Jersey, St. Peter's and then Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, these New Jersey uh, mid-majors know how to win some, uh, some big time games in March Madness. So Shaheem Holloway going back to Seton Hall to take over there and you know, up and down last season, 17 and 16. They lost in the first round of the NIT, but you know, a quality opponent to see where USC assessment test of where USC is at. And then Oklahoma, Iowa, these aren't the same teams that we've seen the last couple of years. They're still finding their way at the same time. So we'll see what we what uh what to expect from them on Thursday if you watch the other game in that tournament as well. Quick note on Kadari Richmond, who you, you mentioned there, Seton Hall's top scorer, but he leads them in rebounding assists. Steals, I think, too. He's a point guard. He was on Syracuse, my alma mater, way back when, his freshman season. And the story with him, everyone was so mad when he left. He is really good. I think he's the best guard USC will have played so far this season. So I know Seton Hall, they haven't really played too many good opponents. They're undefeated, but only against mid-majors. Kadari Richmond, he's the real deal, and I think he'll be a good test for 
Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier. He's a good defensive player as well. Good scorer. So just a tough, tough kid. I think that's a really exciting matchup. Yeah, and then the the potential of the Oklahoma Iowa game. The Oklahoma is four and zero right now. Uh, the men, uh, the Iowa men, I believe, are also undefeated. I'm looking that one up. I forgot to put it in the notes. Um, but you know, these two teams are teams that have been pretty good. No, actually, Iowa lost to Creighton. I forgot they played. Uh, so they have one good quality opponent that they played. Played them pretty tough. Nine two eighty four, high scoring. Iowa scores points. One hundred ten points against North Dakota. 98 against Alabama State, 88 against Arkansas State, 84 against Creighton. You know, remember the the Big Ten tournament a couple of years ago when the the game was like 120 to 100, 116 or something, whatever it was, crazy. Um, and then uh, I believe they played to, or no, their women actually played tonight and put up 113. So they score a lot of points in Iowa. They have not I like been the football able, team. <laughs> I was about to say they have not been able to shift that over to Kinnick Field, to Kinnick Stadium for the football team for whatever reason. I, all the offense has been uh, stuck in the in the basketball arena. So uh, we'll see how USC defends that because that will be that'll be if USC does play with against Iowa, that'd be a good matchup of strength versus strength. USC's defense has been their calling card for a few years now. Iowa's offense has been theirs, so that could be an intriguing matchup. But won't know until after Thursday's results for that one. As far as the women, they continue in the Bahamas. They will play on Wednesday, as we said, against Penn State. We previewed this a little bit last week because we didn't know what day we were going to record this week. They're, they're, we said that last week they were 3-0 and with an average margin of victory of 40 points. Now they're 5-0, and not quite as high of a margin of victory uh, because they beat in, uh, I believe it was Oklahoma State and another quality opponent, St. John's. So they played a couple more quality opponents and not, not run away from them, but still picking up wins, I think, one of them was double digit. The other one was about nine. I want to say, again, we mentioned last year they were fourteen and seventeen. They are led by five eleven guard McKenna Marissa, who's preseason All Big Ten. She's averaging seventeen point eight points right now and is leading the team in assists. They have five players that are average that have ten assists or more. So you know, all of them are averaging at least a couple of assists per game. So they share the ball. Future Big Ten opponent. Uh, so we'll see, you know, what they can do uh, in that game. And then USC is going to return to SoCal for the next nine games, starting next Tuesday with a 7 p.m. home game against Cal Poly, who is not very good at basketball this season, at least this season. They are one in four, and they're coming off a, you know, currently coming off a loss against Stanford where they were beaten by 54 points. So, wouldn't be surprised if we'll see if USC can kind of match that, you know, similar Stanford's ranked number six, USC ranked number eight. We'll see if, uh, you know, they can blow out Cal Poly. It might be a good game to go and check out the Juju show and see what she can do. She's playing a bad opponent. There's no telling what might happen. We might see some records broken. Get your ass to Galen Center to check out the women's basketball team as well. Yeah. When Juju scored her 60 point night in uh, at Sierra Canyon as a senior on senior night, that was against, a not so very good Notre Dame team. So she could definitely bring it against Cal Poly. I, I could see that happening. And just to to wrap up the Penn state game, that preview, pretty much what I said uh, last week, I still agree with go out, show your top 10 team, Penn state, the record's good, but that program historically, not that great USC this year, top 10 team, they should beat Penn state. And Juju actually, I think she told me that 60, that 60 was her career high or, you yeah. know, her lifetime high um, because I asked her after uh, the, the Vegas opener, I'm like, Oh, you just put up 30, do what? 32. Uh, what, what's the, what's the all time high? Uh, 60. Oh, nice. Uh, me too. Me, me too. Yeah. I, I put up 61 time. I, I think it was a good dream. Uh, no, I, I think my career high was actually, I think I put up 32 in a, in a youth league game. At one point for some reason, I was the star player that day i'm usually not i don't know our big was out or something and it's like just keep shooting shotgun just keep i was going off so i have a 32 in the bag i had a 30 burger once wow i, next, I don't think i've ne- ever touched 30 so nice next highest after that's probably like 12 15 <laughs> something like that i don't know uh um, that sounds like me <laughs> i got some great numbers in papa shot that's Ryan. I beat him. Beat him last time in the uh, in Arizona when we were, uh, had a meet at the meetup. There was a Papa Shot machine beside uh, the meetup. 
Connor, anything else you want to add before we uh, we wrap this one up? I mean, the triple double is now rolling. Now we got our second episode going. Uh, you know, we're excited for what's going going to happen this season. Both teams could do some really special things, but both teams have some things they got to improve on. So we'll see, and we'll be following along throughout the season. My last thought: I just think with the men, they're in a little bit of a slide right now, beating or losing to UC Irvine, and then beating. Brown in a game that was a little closer than it should have been. Now you got two power five opponents back on the schedule this week. Can you get back to what it looked like against Kansas state? I think Seton hall is similar to Kansas state. They aren't a great team, but they're a solid team. Can you beat them and then test your luck against a good Oklahoma and good Iowa team that would uh, really show me a lot if they could bounce back this week. Yeah. And Kansas state uh, is not going to be helped their non-conference RPI potentially because they had a player punch someone the other night. So that's going to be a suspension. We'll see if that impacts their win loss record down the road. Those are not, those are the type of things you do not want to see after you beat a team that you think, Oh, this is going to be a quality win for us going forward. You know, an elite eight team in Kansas state. And I believe it was their leading score. Uh, if I remember, if I saw the clip correctly. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting one for USC. That's a team you're like, all right, we want them to do really well in the big 12 because that's going to boost our RPI throughout and that may hurt them going forward. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how Kansas State does. You know, you, you always root for your opponents after you play them type of thing in, in, in college basketball because of the RPI. But that's going to wrap it up for episode number two of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to Chris Capco for joining us, for my co-host, Mr. Triple Double, Connor Morissette, and to everyone for taking the time to listen. Please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. Send us any feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. Hope you guys will join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, and have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Peace.